Hey guys, welcome back to the Newsprint Commando. I'm your host, Ed Moore. Today we're looking at the comics that Pacific Comics put out in May of 1982. And they will include Raj 2000, a rather interesting book compared to the other books that we've been seeing, uh, compared to a lot of books that have been coming out at this time, actually. And, well, that's all. Pacific is still on just a one book a month schedule. It'll pick up here in another three or four months. We'll get three, two, two and three book months. And then and another about a year from now, we'll get to a full like eight, nine, ten books a month. But Raj 2000. So uh, curious in several, several ways just looking at it. It's got a gatefold cover. Uh, it's got a cardstock gatefold cover. It is magazine size. It is $2.95. All of these things make it very different on your shelf. Uh, it is black and white, so that is consistent with a lot of other books coming out. Right now, just as black and white is picking up uh, about a year and a half or so before the black and white glut, as they call it. And so it's uh, black, black and white is still pretty popular. Now, what truly makes the book different, though is it is a compilation of previously published material by the artist primarily, but initially he scripted, penciled, inked, and lettered his creation, Raj 2000, and that creator is Mr. John Byrne. Initially, these strips appeared in Contemporary Pictorial Literature, or CPL, uh, which was a fanzine Championed by Roger Stern, I think, primarily. I think he was the main editor. But it also involved some other uh, people that we may have been familiar with over time. Uh, Larry Bernicke, Bob Layton, Roger Sliffer, Duffy Voland, um, and maybe Nicola Kuti, although that may be on the backside for another reason that he, he, yeah, he is involved. So initially, this was just a a submission by a fan of that fanzine that the folks in charge liked enough to pursue him doing multiple uh, itera- uh, m- m- multiple strips. Now, this, as I said, is a compilation of probably one, two, three, four, like three strips as they will appear in another magazine in a little bit later on. And I'll get into that here in a moment. But initially, these are, I believe, one-page gags that appeared per issue of CPL. So each page, I believe, is one set of strips as they would have appeared. Now, each page has multiple panels. And like I say, it's magazine size, black and white. So it's very pretty to look at. Relies a lot on insider information of the individuals involved in the fanzine. There's a lot of sight gags. There's a lot of uh, visuals, faces, notes, post-it notes in one scene in an office here, uh, signs, names on buildings and things. So there's a lot of visual gags. It's very insider, which being part of a fanzine, you would expect. Um, uh, for those of you, I don't know, uh, that may not know what I mean by a fanzine, uh, you, they're still made nowadays. They're a little bit... Um, Fewer and far between, I should say. They're not harder to find necessarily if you just know where to look for them. But used to be, this was uh, this fanzine started in 1974. 
So that was eight years before this thing was even published. And 74 makes it, what, almost 50 years from today-ish when you're listening to this? So um, used to be there weren't magazines. There weren't the, – the internet didn't exist. So the way that fans found their own – Okay, their their own tribe was that somebody would get it that he or she uh, wanted to put together their own homemade magazine. They were typewritten, they were mimeographed, they were xeroxed, they were hand stapled. Word would get put out locally or put out via ads in comic books, and the people creating them would create however many had been paid for, plus a handful more, and they would mail them out to the people. And in them, in, in the fanzines, would be articles written by fans, artwork uh, done by fans of whatever, comic books or the topic, if it was a topical fanzine like DC Comics or Marvel Comics or uh, The Avengers or The Legion of Superheroes, it has a very famous fanzine. Uh, things like that. Currently, I am familiar with a Swamp Thing fanzine because actually I subscribe to it. And two or three just generic fanzines. One is called Bubbles. Uh, I just got the first three issues of it and I'm, I'm working my way through that. A couple more, but the names aren't coming to mind. I would have to look them up because I, I they, they come out sporadically, you know, uh, with individuals on their spare time working on these things, it may be two, three, four months between issues or more, you know. So um, I do have uh, subscribed to a couple more, but I haven't seen them in a little while, so they don't come to mind. The Swamp Thing and, and the Bubbles, uh, I was just reading here the past couple weeks. But that that's what a fanzine was. It's the original Wizard, let's say, Wizard Magazine, the original uh, Comic Buyer's Guide. And so that's how the fans of particular um, – IPs or publishing companies or what have you would get together and communicate. So this was one of those fanzines spearheaded by Mr. Stern called Contemporary Pictorial Literature. And so one of the submissions was this strip of a robot by John Byrne named Raj 2000. So on our first page here, we've got five panels, four uh, one-third page panels across the top, and then a full two-third page panel on the bottom, five total panels. Twilight in Brooklyn, it tells us, a night like most at Duffy's Tavern, undoubtedly a reference to Duffy Volant, who worked on the magazine. But this night will be different, for tonight will herald the coming of the gang. And we see the image of what is supposed to be a boom tube here, but instead of going boom, it goes P-T-U-I, Patui. And out pops Raj and four members of the CPL staff. We also have a sight gag here of Orion, who says, oops, wrong strip. And you see him in the back of the gang. Otherwise, Raj has carried in these other four members, who I believe are going to turn out to be Roger Stern, Bob Layton, Larry Bernicki. And I'm not sure if Roger Sliffer is here, because they go to see him. So now they're here in the bar, and the bartender says, uh, hello, gang. Something pasted on the mirror here, a little post-it note, but I can't make it out. Call Jones something basement full of empties. Yeah, I don't know. Hiya, Duff. 
I'll have the usual. Okay, so this is Duffy. This is Duffy Voland, and it's his bar. But editor tells us, hold on now. Is this the CPL staff? What are they doing here? Let's flash back a few hours. So we go back to the office. We see CPL gang publications knock and go away. And they're fussing here. They're trying to put together an issue of the magazine. Raj is here looking at a Sesame Street magazine with... It looks like, uh, let's see who's here. Roger Stern and Bob Layton are putting together the magazine. And they then go back to Raj 2000's first involvement with that. So I think we have a flashback within a flashback. And we see Raj getting off a bus, and then Doc Larry jumps out and grabs him. No, I'm sorry. It's not a flashback. Raj 2000 gets tired of these two dudes arguing over the magazine, and he leaves. But then somebody tracks him down, jumps out of the bus, grabs him up, jumps in the car with uh, a couple others being Larry Bernicki, Bob Layton, and Roger Stern, I believe. They're going to go see Roger Sliffer. So they grab up Raj, jump in the Pinto, and they take off to Sliffer's. They find out that, wow, the the Pinto's driving a lot smoother than it used to. and um, Raj says, yeah, it should, because I tuned it up. And then Roger Stern notices that, oh my gosh, the car is flying. And he yells, quick, Raj, hit the button. And they do, and it's an eject button. And so Roger Stern gets ejected, and he's dangling by uh, the steering wheel, which is now attached by like a rope or a flexible line of some sort. And the car suddenly goes diving down towards Sliffer's house. Runs out of gas right before it hits Sliffer's house, and so it stops, much like the, uh, what is that, a Bugs Bunny gag, I think, on one of the Bugs Bunny cartoons, a rocket. It's going to crash into the ground or an airplane. Maybe it's an airplane. And uh, just feet before it crashes into the ground, it runs out of gas. So now the CPL gang is in the backyard with Roger, with Raj 2000, excuse me. I, I got to be sure to say it different because Roger Stern is also involved in this. And they're trying to figure out what to do to uh, come up with topics and put out this this particular issue of the CPL magazine, fanzine. And so they're talking, talking, and they decide, well, what they need to do is they need to get to Duffy's because they do their best work at Duffy's, I guess, meaning while they're drunk. And so they're wondering how in the world they can get to Duffy's. Um, how do we get to Duffy's in less than a page? So they only have a page left to fill, um, and so – that's, that's all the room they have. And then Raj 2000 comes up with an idea. He says, gentlemen, getting to Duffy's presents no problem. It will take only one panel using flashback techniques and the Patui tube. And so that leads us to the first set of panels. And now we come back to present where Raj is talking to Duffy, introducing himself a little bit more. He, Roger, 2000, Raj 2000, is tired of all the guys making noise and huffing and puffing and all this from where they fell through the Patui tube. And he pulls the plug on them and lets their air out, and they all collapse, and he sticks them in a can that says Instant Staff, CPL Gang. Duffy puts it up on the shelf. And then the final panel, Raj 2000 says, put them on the shelf till next issue, Duff. So we have Raj 2000, Duff, uh, again, who I'm presuming is the character of Duffy Voland. Over here is John Byrne thinking Struth. Three years of art college for this. I actually recognize him visually. And off in the corner uh, next to the window that says Duffy's Tavern, 
in reverse because the letters so you can see it from outside. Yeah, you know how that works. Is man thing uh, sucking on a drought of something. Who knows what that is? And so ends the CPL part of this issue. Now, uh, we have a page of how to draw Raji, Roji, Raji, R-O-G-I-E 2000 by John Byrne. And then we have a editorial here from Nicola Kuti, who later on now in the rest of the issues of this, John Byrne and or Roger Stern and or Nicola Kuti will be scripting. John pencils by himself. Byrne does the inks with help for one strip from Bob Layton. And Byrne does the letters except for one strip. He gets help from Roger Silfer. And I believe Bob Layton and Roger Silfer, Roger Stern, all worked with John Byrne on one of these next strips. Now, what is coming up is three, one, two, three strips, each about uh, eight pages long, as they appeared as backup stories in E-Man from Charlton Comics. Uh, I believe that this first E-Man strip, um, here it's in black and white, but I believe initially it appeared in color, which would make it the first paid comic book work in color from John Byrne, I believe. He did have a like a two-page black and white story published, uh, it escapes my mind, in something between the time when he was working on CPL, came to the notice. What what happens is a lot of these guys that were working at CPL, putting that out on their own time, their day job was working for Charlton Comics. So Byrne had a connection straight to Charlton there. In between there, he got a two-page black and white piece from someone. Uh, I forget. might have been Charlton also, but I don't rightly remember. I do remember it was black and white. But I think this first Raj 2000 strip that was a backup in E-Man Comics was John Byrne's first color. Once again, we start out in Duffy's Tavern. Raj walks in with the lady and uh, decides that he's going to tell Duffy the story about how he found or why he is uh, companions with the lady. He starts out, I was driving my cab along the Americas when I got a call from my dispatcher to pick up a fare on the Lower East Side. Gotcha. I'm on my way, he says in the radio. Staten dies, famed cartoonist eaten by frogs. That's an allusion to the E-Man creator that this is appearing in. It's a little newspaper sheet that's on the ground here being tossed around by the storm. So in the previous CPL strips, Raj 2000 did allude to the fact that he was thinking about becoming a hack uh, cab driver, I guess. Maybe particularly the late night shift in New York City maybe is what has been termed a hack. I don't know if taxi hacks are necessarily the reference to the ladies, uh, men and ladies that work it during the day. Uh, my vision of a hack is the late night, almost freelancer dude that just goes around until he can find a free cab at one of the companies, kind of like uh, rents it, I guess is what they do, goes out and makes money. Uh, Whatever money he makes minus the rental for the cab is what he takes home at night, I think is how that used to work. I'm, I'm not 100% sure. I know early in his life, I think prior to my life, my dad did that because uh, he was in Chicago having moved from the coal fields of southern West Virginia to make his bones. Um, ultimately, Chicago turns out to be where I was born, where he met my mom. They got married and everything. But I believe one of his 
early jobs, uh, trying to find something to do once he got to the big city of Chicago was he may have been a taxi driver or a, a hack. I, I don't remember exactly which. And here, let's interject a little bit of sadness. Unfortunately, I can't ask my dad because he passed away about two years ago. So there we go. Okay, enough sadness. So Raj uh, goes to uh, the Lower East Side to pick up this fare. The person gets in and he's all weird with the big uh, shadow hat. And he, he actually, he looks very much like the shadow, except he's wearing big dark glasses. And he says in some kind of weird bo- voice, the Bowery, or, you know, however this word balloon would be said the way it's drawn. Right. Rod says, that's weird. He didn't tell me where on the Bowery. Okay, the Bowery it is, he thinks. So Raj and this weirdo exchange words. Um, finally, they get there, and the dude jumps out and decides that he has to get rid of any witnesses, and he whips out this big gun, and he zaps the cab that Raj 2000 is trying to drive, causes it to uh, – looks like it breaks down into fundamental parts. Not fundamental atoms. That's that's a different character that can do that. This is just the individual parts. So this person is ranting and raving, and Raj is sitting here on the uh, street corner talking to one of the uh, vagrants sitting here. And we know he's a vagrant because he's all patched up. He's trying to sleep. Uh, his clothes are all in patches. He's trying to sleep. And he's holding a bottle in a plain paper bag. So all of those, I think, are uh, early 80s indicative of vagrant, or as the unkosher kids would say, a bum. This dude pulls out his gun again and zaps the building that Raj and the vagrant are sitting in front of, and the building vibrates itself or whatever, but it with a B-A-A-A-F-R-O-O-O-M, bathroom, it I don't know, breaks up. It's not disintegrated, but it just breaks up into parts. Fortunately, all the people that were in the building come running out. There's 10 or 12 people running out the front door here. The police show up. Hold it, Mac. You're violating several city ordinances. You have the right to remain silent. And Raj looks at us in one panel and says, fat chance he'll do that because the dude's just been talking nonstop. He turns his gun, uh, his gun on the guns of uh, law enforcement and r- rattles them or shakes them, disintegrates them into pieces, including the watches that the officers have on their wrists. And we find out that his name is Magno, M-A-G-N-O. So I guess he's using magnetic rays from that gun to uh, break things apart. Turns the gun finally on Raj 2000 and breaks him up, mainly just his lower body, not too much his upper body, and then runs off. Um, one cool thing about the design of uh, Raj here that I haven't mentioned, his head and torso arms, they look like a typical, normally musculard robot. You know, robots typically look bigger than human beings, more imposing. But the legs from the hips down are very different design. They are very much like, um, let's say, if you think of like Popeye's arms, you know how from the shoulder down almost to the forearm, it's a it's a thinner body. And then the forearms balloon out muscle, and then the hand is the appropriate size to that gigantic forearm of Popeye's. Well, think of Raj 2000 as from the hip down to probably just below the knee is the thinnish almost wraith-like size, and then from the knee down to the 
feet is this big, pumped-up, metallic-looking, imposing kind of, of construct. And that's um, that's what he looks like. You can kind of see that on the cover, um, although that's an earlier rendition of what he looks like now. This is The cover is more like what he looked like in his CPL time. Burn refined it a little bit for the E-Man backup strips. So, Raj 2000 manages to put himself together and starts taking off running, but then, of course, he's running backwards because he put his legs on backwards, kind of a, you know, one of the many gags. And I, I've, I've not been going into all of the different sight and um, textual gags that there are in here. It's just load full of them. And you can tell by the way they're delivered. A lot of them, like I say, I didn't necessarily get because I... I have never put my hands on a copy of CPL magazine to read uh, the fanzine. I've heard about it for a long time. I've recently been getting into, actually, that aspect of comicdom. Uh, a little bit more so than the comics is the background and the people, fanzines, magazines, stuff like that. Um, so he runs to Burns, B-U-R-N-S, which uh, should be an allusion to John Byrne, his creator. And he's needing help. With his, I guess he knows that this is his creator or his uh, repairman, if nothing at all. So, Byrne has been working on sort of a new robot, and it is Lady comes out. She's wearing a bikini and she's very pretty and svelte, and you know, quite the opposite of the big, almost blocky, masculine Raj 2000. So, it's very much a robotic beauty and the beast, if you will. So, Burns sends Lady out with Raj 2000. Uh, they track down Magno, and she starts using her attractively feminine wiles on Magno to uh, kind of talk him down from this death and destruction binge that he's on. He turns his Magno ray on her, but finds out that it doesn't work. She, in turn, turns some kind of uh, one flash of her baby blues, and it was all over for Magno. She emits some kind of ray from her eyeballs and melts his gun. Raj then knocks Magno out with a punch, and he and Lady walk off. Later, we stop at Burns, and we see that Raj is here, and he says, she's really something, even if she ain't a lady, and he's holding up his very melted half-arm. And Burns says, yeah, but so long as she can do that, we're just going to be good friends. Or, I'm sorry, that's what Raj says to Burns. Second strip starts out while on self-imposed vacation in the Catskills. Raj 2000 becomes an unwilling guest at a house with a strange reputation. Raj is driving around, looks like uh, in a Volkswagen. A uh, title of the story is Withering Heights. The uh, Volkswagen, the plate on the Volkswagen says NCC 1701. Uh, runs out of gas, no gas stations around. Grabs his spare gas tank and marches off to a rather imposing-looking house that um, he can see in the distance. Interesting thing. In the first panel, it looks like he's driving away from the house. But then in the third panel, when he goes EVA with the gas can, uh, looks like the car is facing the house. Not sure how that happened. This uh, story, also as printed here in Raj 2000, is the, the story pages are printed out of order. I think it's printed something like, one, three, five, six, four, two, something like that. So, uh, if it takes me a minute to flip to get to the right page, just bear with me. 
goes up to a like I say a rather large imposing house uh, of course it's a dark and stormy night and the house looks all partially or completely boarded up whatever he goes inside says hello anybody here living or dead I ain't choosy did you wish a room a young lady asks from behind the counter and she kind of bears a striking resemblance to lady I think but maybe that's just uh, early John Byrne not overly able to distinguish between faces it did a good job with the men I don't know so um, Raj 2000 continues, wow, what's a girl like you do- doing in a place like this, she says? Oh, you've heard that one before. So they're going back and forth. He says, basically, he needs some fuel. She tells him they have a full oil drum out in the garage, and he's uh, more than welcome to help himself. Introduced to Mr. Dinsmore and Ms. Bloomblatt here, who are also in the hotel. We flip back several pages to get there. Says, oh, okay, so they're staying here in the hotel too. Well, yeah, okay, thanks. They, they look like a couple stuffy, older people. Uh, Raj continues on out to the spooky, musty, cobwebby garage here. Um, starts loading up his gas tank and hears a scream. And so, let's see, the scream, where's the scream page? Nope. Okay. It's this one. Zinnia, what's going on? Uh, that is the front desk girl's name, Zinnia. I'm glad you're here. That scream came from Miss Bloomblatt's Boomblatt's room. B-O-O-M-B-L-A-T. Boomblatt. So she grabs up a candelabra, complete with candles, runs up the stairs, um, making me wonder how the candles didn't go out as she's running. But with Raj behind her, they run to the room, and they get there just in time to see legs is all that's left being drugged into a dark closet. Uh, Weird page flips here. So they go to Mr. Dinsmore's room to check on him because he's the only other person there. Roger, Boomblatt, and Dinsmore. Or Raj, I should say. Sorry. So they get to Dinsmore's room just in time to see him being drugged into a dark closet, only his legs, and, and he soon disappears. Nothing, no trap doors, no secret panels, no way for anyone to get in or out of these closets except through the door, Raj 2000 says, as he went to investigate the closet right after this person disappeared. I've stopped reporting these disappearances because the police can't believe what I tell them, she says. I believe you, kid. I'm going to take the room you offered me before and uh, find out what happened to him. The fearless robot sets himself up as bait for the closet fiend. Do you want me to take your gas can downstairs, Raj? Nah. I might get thirsty during the night. Good night, Zinnia. So then, at this page, this one. Uh, Raj is laying here on his bed reading, yeah, a comic book of some sort, but I can't quite see. I can't quite make out what it's supposed to be. And then suddenly he hears some, some noise coming from the closet, and he goes and checks the closet just as he's reaching to either check the handle to see if it's locked or unlocked or to open the closet to get in it. The door flips open and this big blobby oozy thing starts flowing out of the closet at Raj. He runs over and uh, grabs up his can of oil sitting there next to the bed. Zinnia runs in and just as she runs in, he grabs her up and ignites the oil can uh, to kill this m- mass of, of flubber or blubber or, you know, what have you. The house ignites, burns down. 
She tells him here the final two panels. A scientist stayed at the hotel once before he died. He said he'd discovered the secret for creating life. No one believed him, but he spoke the truth. Raj says, it's over. We may as well head back for town. Wonder why the ooze never picked you as a victim. And she indicates as she's oozing after Roger, Daddy wouldn't eat his own flesh and blood. And he's thinking, Daddy, uh uh-oh. And that ends that strip. All right, next up, the story, Raj 2000 in The Wish. Uh, Just have this one and one more. I know the show's going a little bit longer than usual. Sorry about that. Uh, He's... uh, Raj is still a hack here, a, a taxi hack. He's driving one night and passes an alley, sees a couple ne'er-do-wells uh, imposing their will on a, a little old granny lady, you can tell, with the way she holds her purse and the way she's dressed with her hat. She's got the cute little button glasses on that are down on the bridge of her nose, right, instead of in front of her eyeballs. He defeats the two ne'er-do-wells and... Uh, The woman wants to thank him, so she grants him a wish, and she says, oh, I know what your wish would be, and she turns him from robot to human. So he takes these two 'er ne'er-do-wells that he defeated uh, as a human, dumps them off at the police station, and they ask, well, you know, dude, what do you want? Who are you? And he says, it's Raj 2000, your, you know, your best crime fighter. And they're like, no. And so, you know, back and forth, back and forth until finally he sees in a mirror that he's been turned into a human. So now he's like, oh, no, no, this is this is not going to go. I, I need to find that little witch and, and get her to turn me back. Well, come to find out he's been changed into or at least resembles a dude named Duck Griffin, who has an open contract out on him because we see that a paid assassin, a paid assassin, I should say, has got a bead on him now and is trying to take him out. So now Raj nay Duck Griffin uh, is being hunted by an assassin who's taking pot shots at him anytime he can. He's running, trying to hook up, find the old lady again, which he he has no idea where she went or whatever. Runs to hop a train to get away from the assassin primarily. Finds out in the train is this same little old lady. He bitches at her, says this was not the wish that he had. She changes him back to his robot form. He defeats the assassin and his muscle stooge here. And uh, after that, the old lady tells him, well, you still have a a wish, you know, from saving me earlier. And the final panel, we see the old witch down in hell being uh, set upon by demons. And she thinks, I must remember never to grant a wish to an angry robot. That was kind of a shorter one. That was about a four-pager, whereas these others have been about eight pages. Alrighty, final strip here, entitled Raj 2000 versus The Sog. Uh, and the first thing I notice in the panel here isn't the panel itself, but something in it that says New York, as in uh, a piece of front page from like the New York Times, I guess, and the big word evacuation on the front of it. Well, looking at Raj 2000, he's got a bandolier on and he's carrying this nasty looking uh, futuristic rifle, let's say laser gun, something like that. Says, um, let's see, anything quick here. Most catastrophes spawn heroes to conquer them, and New York is no exception. It's just that there are so many calamities in the Big Apple that heroes are overworked, which probably explains why when catastrophes strike again, there was no one around except for, and then that's the title, ROG 2000 versus the SOG, or ROG. So he's uh, running through the streets of New York here and comes to an alley, and he hears slosh, slosh, slosh coming down the alley. He uh, 
sets himself and turns says, there it is. It's no use trying to back out now. It's steel against slush. And then the narrator tells us, before we allow our protagonist, Raj, to battle with the antagonist, Sog, we feel that a brief history of the Sog is in order. It began at the bottom of the ocean. Its creation depended upon a collection of fish and animal fossils, polluted waste dump, and leakage from sealed barrels of radioactive byproducts to casually combine forming... The dreadful, imperfect, insatiable sog. And it looks like a just a big, giant mass of seaweed. Um, it doesn't really have eyes per se, but maybe it has some indentions where the eyes would be. Maybe. But we see it crawling along the bottom of, uh, we will assume, New York Harbor. Pulls up on a tugboat full of trash and starts consuming the trash. It consumes one of the deckhands that's here and a the the captain of the the tug that's pushing the I don't know what what is that would would it be the scow is that what the boats are called that the trash is on? Uh, the captain sees him, runs up to save his deckhand, but he too is consumed by the sog. Uh, the boat, not being captain, not being controlled, runs into a pier, throws everybody off. Or, I don't know, I, I guess the two humans, there's nothing really left of them because the Sog consumed them. But the Sog gets thrown back into the water. It's climbing around, heading for the pier, and here's a security officer that uh, is thrown down from the, the smacking of the boat up against the pier. The Sog is drawn by him. Comes up, we see that the bullets from the pistol of the security officer... He has a patch that says SP. I don't know if that's significant or not. Um, the SOG consumes him, leaving just his pistol behind. Moving on down the, the street, the alley, whatever, what, what have you, to the sound of slosh, slosh, slosh as it's taking steps, I guess. We see a couple individuals dressed up as uh, I would presume they are intended to be hippies, a male and female. The male manages to run away, of course. The female is grabbed by the SOG and, I assume, consumed. We see a police officer with a shotgun, kabloom, kabloom, shooting at the SOG to no avail. All the city knew of the creature, except for our hero, who was working. All the city knew of the creature, except for our hero, who was working the night shift. That's Raj 2000. It was the silence that finally woke him. Gads, he yawns. It's quiet as a graveyard. I think I'll take a look around. So he's sitting in his hack, gets out, starts walking around, walks in front of this huge gothic church. I mean, it's, yeah, it's screaming gothic like evil vampires or uh, cloak and dagger from Marvel or, you know, something. Yeah, it, it's just very gothic. -y. And I, I think it's, I, I think it's pretty coolly drawn in that the panel uh, for the church was all black, and then the structure of the church was drawn into the black by erasing the black, I believe is what it looks like. And that is, what, is that a Frank Miller technique there that he did with, uh, did he do that on Daredevil, or was that his own uh, stuff later on? I don't know, I, I think, but it's it's like a, a reverse drawing. You fill everything in, and then you just take out what you want the drawing to be, If if you guys... And gals, uh, understand what I'm what I'm trying to say there. Uh, Raj is walking and says, Jesus is spooky. It's like that science fiction movie I saw where the Martians have invaded the Earth and we see papers floating around here in the wind. Evacuation notice. 
Uh, here's one that says, Joe Staten trampled by enraged aardvark. Again, these strips are in the back of E-Man, uh, which is a Joe Staten creation for Charlton. So, the town was evacuated and our hero was alone, almost. Just keep your hands up and don't move. And he says, ah! And we turn around and here's a big military dude on a tank. He says, what are you doing here? You're out cruising downtown Manhattan in a tank? And you're asking me what I'm doing here? There's a dangerous creature roaming loose, killing civilians, and I'm here to stop it. But it's hard to maneuver through the streets. And Rod says, do you need a tank to kill it? The tank is just for protection. We've got this here neutron gun to kill the SOG. Too bad your armor isn't more portable, General. Your armor is portable, robot. Since the city's in a state of martial art, that martial law, that gives me the power to recruit your aid. Do I have a choice? Yeah, that's what I figured. He says, and now we see him. Army helmet, bandolier, uh, neutron gun, we find out here. Not the neutron dance. That's different. This is the neutron gun. And the narrator tells us we return to where we left Rog. Raj. And the narrator turns us we return to where we left Raj. So he turns down the alley and he sees the SOG, but between him and the SOG is a little girl. Hey, mister, I'm lost. Could you help me? Don't move, kid. I'm coming. Just don't move. And he rushes towards her and she turns, whatever, I guess she hears the SOG, turns behind her and sees the SOG. Just as the SOG is about to get there, Raj gets there, grabs her up and starts running away. I just got a new lube job yesterday, he's saying. So I guess that's kind of the robot equivalent of uh, feet don't fail me now or something like that. He's running, 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 and we hear U-P-P, W-H-U-M-P, as it looks like the SOG just falls apart behind him. And he turns around and says, how about that? Must have died from overeating. There was too much garbage in New York, even for the SOG. She says, the little girl says, can I have an ice cream soda? Narrator says, the city will forget and the SOG will exist only in the archives of the news and the police blotter. Raj says, ice cream soda? When I get lost, I'm lucky to get a lollipop. And the uh, the sergeant, the military dude here is uh, with a couple enlisted men, and they've all got shovels. And he says, well, we'll ship it to Long Island and use it for landfill. I'm not sure. What, what that is that, you know, alluding to another book somewhere, or is that making fun of New York? Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure what all that means. Uh, and, and that's it. The final page, inside page, is just a big PC logo. The inside back cover is blank, which is terrible that they wasted that space. And uh, there we go. The gatefold cover, as I said, has the main characters from uh, all of the individual E-Man reprint stories, but not really the CPL stories, except for Raj. He would have been common between them. There's even an image of the SOG here on it also. So, alrighty, guys. There you go. There's my um, thoughts, my readings, what occurred in Raj 2000. I guess any thoughts that I had, I really gave out as I was reading them. Um, it's okay. I, I'm not necessarily the biggest fan of the f the funny haha -ha comics. Uh, several years back, I tried to put together a show talking about my favorite all time comic, which is The Tick. Um, and having said, I'm not a fan of those kind of comics. The fact that one of my favorite comics is The Tick, which is one of those kind of comics, uh, the irony doesn't escape me. But I just know that. Uh, I, well, I definitely know in, in trying to put together that show, trying to talk about the tick in audio format just was very, very difficult. There was so much of the humor, again, that was sight. Uh, it was signage. It was facial expressions. It was things like that. So doing that in an audio-only format was very difficult. Now, in a YouTube uh, cartoonist kayfabe 
type show. Probably talking about the tick would would work out pretty well, but that's not that's not my forte. I have a face made for podcasting, not made for audio uh, video. Alrighty, guys, uh, that is it. Let me see here. Looks like next episode will be Aerosol Samurai issue number five. Will be what I'm looking at. Talk to you guys then. Ciao.